Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Disclaimer. 
Horror Hill is a horror anthology podcast bringing you scary stories from all corners of the internet and beyond. As such, certain stories include content that some listeners might find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. Hello there, listeners, and welcome back to Horror Hill. I'm your host, Eric Peabody, and we're featuring a story tonight from an author that's new to the show, Michael Boter. You know, being 15 years old is a tough age for most people. You don't have much control over your life, you don't know what you really want, and hell, you might not even know who you are deep down. It can be an impressionable age, where you can inadvertently step onto a bad path and not even know it. The 15-year-old protagonist in tonight's story finds himself in just such a position. He has an interest in the strange and the occult, and has found fuel for his interests in a periodical called The Strange Paper. The editor of The Strange Paper is an enigmatic man named Maxwell Winkle, As our protagonist meets up with Mr. Winkle and goes further down the rabbit hole of the bazaar, we're left to wonder what's mere paranoid fantasy and what's actually real. As a side note, I'd like to mention that there were minor editorial changes made to this story to adapt it for Horror Hill. All changes were approved by the author. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today and get instant access. Did I mention they're ad-free? Thank you for your support. And now, from author Michael Boder, I give you The Strange Paper. When I was 15, my father grounded me for two weeks. I was supposed to be in my bedroom if I wasn't at school or at saxophone practice, and that was okay. I didn't ask for food, juice, candy, TV, computer time, or my scooter. There were 64 pages in the latest edition of The Strange Paper, and I let my eyes crawl over every damn word. God, I loved that magazine. While rain dragged on the windows, I would hold The Strange Paper against the ceiling, blocking out the light, the wind, and the weather, reading about suppressed science, conspiracies, cryptozoology, puzzles, pyramids, psychics, and UFOs. My magazine of mysteries blocked out the door, blocked out my dad dissing my mom, blocked out my mom howling on the phone to her sister in Ireland. The strange paper blocked out my computer, phone, cat, and casserole dinners, blocked out that girl, Shiori Kazumi, from music club with a weird tooth who always passed me notes in class hockey practice and collecting for the blind, 
I didn't even want a girlfriend. I wanted to read the unexplained and feel a tinge of excitement. The strange paper became the screen through which I saw my world. Its articles were radioactive, caustic, and searing. Ideas were lost in time and rediscovered. Horrors stretch across governments, wars, and epics. Behind a thin veil draped over reality lurked awful conspiracies, the stories taught me. Out in the world was wickedness barely disguised. Sinister plots undermine our organized world. One cover story looked at the abduction of a girl in Kamagasaki by a malevolent Japanese spirit known as a yokai. Psychic researchers discovered elemental traces of the phantom. Another issue evaluated photos apparently showing the Nottingham Forest Troll. The article determined it was likely to be either Yallery Brown, the green man of English folklore, or even Puck, the fawn-inspired legendary halfling. Behind every bafflement which appeared paranormal was verifiable science. Proof! The strange paper showed me that the mystical world was real and that the real world was bullshit. As school ended, so did my faith in the superficial shopfront world. I read about sonar evidence for the Loch Ness Monster while my friends poured bottles over their faces at Joel Chad's yearbook party. I pressed my face against a story covering the Cottingley Fairies during the prize giving for football where they called my name twice before I zombied up to the podium and accepted my award, trying to read while I walked. I couldn't explain the strange paper to my friends or teachers. Partly they wouldn't have believed it. Partly I wanted each revelation to be mine alone. I needed a conspiracy. I graduated from school and emerged from my finals, resolved to enroll in whatever courses would demystify the world. I enrolled in advanced biology, introduction to 20th century history, courses on psychology, geography, journalism, and evolution, a paper called Examining Claims of a New World Order. I ambushed each new copy as soon as the delivery truck pulled up at Baxter's Books on the second Wednesday of every month. I devoured my magazine on buses, roller coasters, rides home from school, taxis, and family vacations. I read it in a tuk-tuk in Thailand while my dad tried to convince mom to love him again. I read it in a toilet stall at Changi Airport, where I could pull my face mask down and breathe without being watched. 17, 18, 19, even when my parents groaned about me rolling out of bed at lunchtime and how I ought to get my own place, I was learning about what mattered in this world, hoovering up information from the strange paper's print pages and website, eyes darting left and right, typing, tracing, drinking pages of text and video and parsing scores of documents. I slouched on my computer chair, lay on my back with my phone above my eyes, hanging upside down off my parents' couch in the living room, hair scraping the carpet, pouring content inside me. Strange paper issue number 417 was a scoop about a sighting of Wuduwosa, the Sasquatch of Suffolk. Issue number 390 looked at the Mandela effect, causing the public to misremember CIA cover-ups. 
Issue number 248 discussed how the cure for cancer, discovered in a Jordanian laboratory, was destroyed thanks to Israeli-US-Soviet Cold War machinations. While my friends had moved on to university and beer pong, road trips, and skydiving, I was reading the letters to the editor, the contents, the legalese, the briefs, the advertisements, and every inch of the strange paper. I frantically googled for extra info for every conspiracy I read about once the story ended. I obsessed over the editorials, too, pressing my nose against the editor's ever-changing photo, always different each time I grabbed my brown paper-bagged copy from Baxter's. See, there was a pledge made by the strange paper in each editorial. Everything published here was reported to us as true, and that promise had a man standing behind it, editor Maxwell Winkle. The only thing constant in Maxwell's photos was that he was white, aged about 50, and he had a punchable, sticky-outy chin and a boyish, grinning face like Boris Johnson. Some months, he had fuzzy yellow mutton-chop sideburns. Some months, he was clean-shaven. There was a summer when he wore dark purple smoked glasses, and his Dennis the Menace blonde hair was in a tight ponytail. One issue, there was a photo of him at the marble tomb of Charles Fort, the chronicler of Fortean phenomena and the first Westerner to begin systematically compiling reports of the unexplained. Issue number 318 had Maxwell diligently scraping soot from the wall of a supposed gas chamber at Auschwitz, which actually turned out to be a facility that NASA used to dispose of extraterrestrials. Issue number 333 saw Maxwell with a measuring tape tracing the pentagram carved into the plaza outside the presidential palace in Astana, Kazakhstan, headquarters of the Zionist occupational government. Each photo usually showed half a face and one ear. Always, his head was tilted towards some distant calling. My old friends fell out of my peripheral vision, and the only person left who tried to ring me at my parents' place was Shiori, the girl with the dorky tooth. She'd talk a little about the restaurant she helped her parents run and the battles with the council's food department and trip advisor and fussy tourists. She'd try and frame questions about the strange paper, which I'd sent her several copies of, though she was usually behind in her updates, still thinking that mammoths were extinct, for example. Audio recordings from near Lake Baikal had proven their existence. Still, I appreciated her trying to match my interest. When I'd get absorbed in tab after tab of Wikipedia and Reddit and culture wars, and a bowl of soup proffered under my nose would snap me out of my trance, it was always Shiori holding the bowl. I worked at the community pool as a lifeguard over the summer, reading aloft in my high chair, trying to keep the sun off my flabby, freckled chicken skin. Then I got fired because a child swallowed too much water while I was engrossed in an article, and plus, I wouldn't keep my COVID face mask on. The article was about fluoridated water, which is tons worse for you than drowning, so one life was saved that day. Mine. I stepped down anyway and wondered where I would go now. I couldn't do life-saving, couldn't do university. 
I read my strange paper on my handlebars as I returned to my dorm room. I read while I applied for unemployment relief on the government website. I arrived at my 20th birthday living in my own box with a slanted ceiling under the stairs in my dormitory hall. I was merely visiting my parents' place for Sunday roasts by this point. Shiori was driving me everywhere and doing my laundry, and when my parents asked Shiori if she was keeping that man of yours in line, I had to sigh and concede that she'd become a girlfriend. Accepting Shiori as a paramour meant it looked like I was doing something about my depression, so my parents stopped sending me to see a specialist. Ugh. Shiori was a tolerant girl, though. Lively and humorous and affectionate. Warm in the bed, like a hot water bottle. Plus, explaining stories to her and watching her nod felt good. She took long, deep nods, absorbing everything without judgment. None of the strange paper articles I read her resulted in disbelief. On my birthday, after a few begrudging kisses and hugs turned into full-on sex, Shiori reached under my crumbly mattress and fished out a white envelope as the locomotives in our chests slowed to a stop. Within, a birthday card. You're going. I've arranged it, Shiori announced, her chubby forearm wiping sweat from her brow with a handful of bedsheet. This Thursday, I sent him an email. To meet that man you're always going on about. Manuel? Maxwell. Wait, what? Within the card was a ticket to the remotest part of Auckland, New Zealand the wind-blown peninsula of Beachlands, where the city tumbled into the expanse. An Uber voucher, too, with directions written on it for the driver. 589A Beachlands Drive. A modest, converted garage office, her Google Street View printout showed. A building larger than a shed, smaller than a strip mall. The Office of the Strange Paper. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Maxwell Winkle was standing over his computer desk, his butt out of his chair, growling at one of four monitors. I interrupted his trance, and he looked up from his screen at the jangling doorbell. Hot, alarmed, wild, darting eyes. He'd just shaken a tablet from a small brown pharmacy bottle, and he put it in his lips and sucked it down with a swallow of Heineken. Enter! There was a twang in that first word. 
Maxwell Winkle was an American too, it seemed. Interesting. Brought in from outside. He was like a giant boy, hair so white yellow it was almost silver, and a wide, smiling face, all cheeks. He wore a black leather jacket with a Led Zeppelin t-shirt and blue jeans, snakeskin boots on his feet. Who sent you? I'm... I'm just... I'm nobody. I... Relax, son, relax. I'm trained in Krav Maga, top-level martial arts reserved for Israeli's most elite soldiers. Nobody's whacking out this guy. I reached across to shake his hand. He left me hovering. You been jabbed? Hope not. Better not be bringing that vaccine schmaxine shit in here. Like coronavirus jabbed? Nah, uh, people my age, I don't think we have to, um, mandatorily, um, sorry, not sure if mandatorily is even a word. Fucked if I know. Never been great with spelling. That's what interns are for. And you know what, Mr. Potential Intern? Ain't no such thing as coincidences in this world. I just love reading your stuff, and, like, my girlfriend, she arranged for me to come, and... Maxwell held a shh finger up, then removed it. You'd better not be reporting back to anyone. He typed a few letters, thought deeply, deleted something, and tucked his t-shirt into his jeans. My son was a spy, he went. Ex-wife used him for leverage. Got him to snitch on me, report back to her leech of a lawyer. Haven't seen the boy in fourteen fucking... Anyway, let's talk about why you're here. Maxwell put all his work on hold for me that afternoon. I sat in a leather chair, mesmerized, picking at a thread, too enraptured to concentrate on the hot chocolate with marshmallows he placed on the coffee table for me. My mouth hung open so long it went dry. I drank my tenth ever beer that afternoon while Maxwell told me the history of the magazine and its spin-off DVDs and YouTube channel and internet radio station and podcast. He and his dad had taken over the strange paper after the old man joined Info, the international Fortean organization, in 1979. Maxwell was in the United States at that time, at a university in the eastern realms of Oregon, top of the river he called it, chuckling as he recalled him and his mates pouring two industrial barrels of LSD into the Columbia River water station to change the mindsets of the concrete heads downtown. Can't say I didn't drink a fair bit of it myself, woo-hee, Maxwell told me, chuckling and patting the round belly under his black t-shirt. One only sees things clearly after a year on acid. We woke a lot of people up that day, yes siree. He finished his beer and shook another pill out of his bottle as he continued to reminisce, placing his right cowboy boot and then the left on the table, tilting back. Best not discussed where the feds can listen in. Long story short, I've taken her over from the old man, financed her, and turned her around. I've never had an assistant that's lasted more than a week, but if you want to try to work for me, kid, shit, here's a start. Maxwell threw at me The Strange Papers, Volume 1, 1980 to 1989, a thick hunk of fluffy newsprint paper the size of a phone book. It fell open with a story about the unexplained deaths of those skiers in the Diet Law of Pass incident. He took his feet down off the desk. 
Bring it with you. We can talk about internships on the road. We've got a meeting to get to. Get in the car. We passed gas stations and billboards and silos and cornfields and brown rivers and green peaks. Maxwell drank monster energy as he drove and popped at least four different kinds of pills, crushing one type of pink gel cap into powder and rubbing it into his gums. We passed caravans full of children staring out the windows, raving as we raced them. We overtook on bends, we undertook cars. He blazed past gas stations. Passing a sign for Retoria on the Taniwa Expressway got Maxwell ranting about cryptids, covered up species, and lost tribes like the Anasazi. He pointed out the Illuminati symbolism of the street names in the new subdivisions we passed in Te Kawada and Pokeno. Maxwell would talk for 30 seconds straight, take his eyes off the highway, gaze at me, then refocus just as he was drifting off the road. Maxwell pressed his Mustang to over 200 kph an hour. The government's little speed camera surveillance system couldn't photograph vehicles driving faster than 199, Maxwell explained. It was hard for me to read back issues of the strange paper with Maxwell driving so crazy, but I opened and closed the compilation in a few places and got the gist of the magazine's history. He used to work under his dad. Then, the dad dropped away something like 2002. There was a whole series of interns, I think, but no record of them because unless Maxwell cited the original writer of whatever piece he published, by Maxwell Winkle was the only byline. I worked out that interns had to have done a shitload of work for him though because Maxwell reviewed a different drug every month on page 44 and wrote the drug stuff himself and you could see how fucked up his English was without a proofreader. I wondered how long it had been since the last intern and what had happened to them. After five hours, we squealed through Roturia, then Taupo, then 30 minutes later coasted into the gravel parking lot of the Tarangi Baptist Church and spurted to a stop. I thought we were heading to Hamilton for this thing. So did the NSA, son. That's why we don't go blabbing about all of our plans. Write that down. It was dusk when we got out and walked across the gravel of the church parking lot. Inside, we could see a circle of old people listening to somebody leading a meeting. Welcome to Sea-Doo, Maxwell said. The Society for the Investigation of the Unexplained. They're not exactly friends, currently. Maxwell skipped up the wheelchair ramp, pulled the door open, and walked right into the middle of the meeting. Ladies? He grinned, flashing a smile yellowed from cigarettes and coffee. An old Indian guy with a cane and thick glasses was midway through delivering a presentation, but a dozen old ladies and men with thinning hair turned to see the arrival. Maxwell was important among these people. They rose to greet him, to touch his shoulder, to press their books into his chest and ask his thoughts. Maxwell was a celebrity, it turned out, and I was his shadow. Nice of you to show, sneered a purple-haired hippie woman with a jade locket and a rainbow vest and a name tag saying Vivian Thonger, president. Her COVID face mask had a big Q on it. We've actually already commenced, 
Maxwell snorted, shook a few hands, exchanged a few updates, and when, after a couple of minutes, the presenter tutted, he sat down and swiveled around to face the front and let him continue. The presentation turned out to be about ancient Celtic fairy people, called Padupairihi or Tureu. They hide in bushes, according to the presentation, sneaking out to bewitch trampers and infiltrate the gene pool. As the presenter was talking about fighting the government to get it to release official Information Act reports about loggers on Crown Forestry blocks encountering the fairy people, and the cover-up thereof, Maxwell leaned over and whispered a correction. Infiltration, yes. Forest fairies, no. His eyes locked with mine. Organized infection of the human race with alien DNA through mandatory inoculation. Not bloody Tinkerbell. Do you disagree? No, sir, I whispered. Then say you fucking agree. Honest, Maxwell, I agree. He nodded deeply. It's all about infiltration. That's what's going on. They invade the gene pool, you know. Johnny government squirts him inside you. Yes, sirree. That's what you're getting when you think you're getting a so-called COVID so-called remedy. Big old dose of deoxyribonucleic acid from the inhabitants of the Draco constellation, son. They wear our skin, you know. Look just like us. This so-called woman here, Vivian, case in point. The hippie woman wearing rainbow took control as the elderly Indian man bowed and went to leave. Her snarl showed her teeth. Maxwell, have something to add, do you? Matter of fact, I do, Ms. Thonger. He got out of his creaking folding chair, walked around the crowd and in front of the projector screen and took over the podium. A big man in a tiny church prefab, the room seemed to shrink around Maxwell. Every incident this old farts just mentioned comes back to forced inoculation on a scale not seen since Nazi Germany, my friends. So-called immunization with so-called vaccines. Now, you're an intelligent lot. Deep down, you know this already. I'm Maxwell Winkle, folks, and for those of you who haven't heard of me, I'm the publisher of The Strange Paper, okay? And you need to know I stand opposed against bullshit, and I'm calling bullshit on your presentation, sir. The Indian presenter guy put his hand on his chest, hurt and shocked. He found a gap beside the Vivian lady and dropped out of view. Maxwell looked hard into the eyes of every person in the room, then crossed the floor, studied the parking lot, eyes thinning, and pulled the blinds shut. I'd like to posit a theory to unite everything discussed tonight, and I'm going to repeat this all at Armageddon sometime soon. We're talking about THE biggest conference in the country. I know many of you will be there, and I thank you in advance. Ready, are you, I hope? Vivian? Madame Thonger? Patricia? Lionel's been waiting for it. Jessica? I know you have too. Mrs. Flax, I can tell you're ready and waiting. Here we go. What Maxwell revealed that night in the church lounge changed everything. Maxwell linked Madame Blavatsky's secret doctrine with dragon men, with Lemuria, with the ascension of Vladimir Putin, and the so-called Queen Elizabeth Windsor. He promised to take the skin off her face and we would see the lizard underneath. 
The Illuminati slash lizard people would, of course, frame any whistleblowers as unhinged. They'd campaign to withdraw advertising from the strange paper, were any of this to be printed. Oh yes, predictably so. But every dismissal of the lizard people proved his case. Maxwell leaned down over the podium. The threat is real. We need to begin opening the books tonight. The Indian presenter man exchanged a joke with the Vivian hippie woman, and they giggled. He put his hands up and asked a mock question. Not enough people opening your books, I take it, Mr. Winkle? I'll open your fucking head, pal! See if you're one of them! Maxwell was about to cross the room and punch the hippie lady when a woman rushed up and thrust an album of photos at him. Distracted, Maxwell let her pull him to the rear of the room while he glanced grumpily over his shoulder. I believe we can conclude the evening on that exciting note, Vivian announced, laughing, brushing her purple hair out of her face and pulling her cue mask down. Let's have a bite, shall we? Somebody wheeled out a cart of cookies and cake, tea, and wine with a sloshing, steaming urn and twenty cups and mugs. Everybody took their COVID masks off. Some people put them in the rubbish bin. I endured a cup of tea poured slowly out of the huge teapot with wood-hard ginger nut cookies. People asked me what it was like to have the privilege of working with Maxwell. I blushed and reported what I could. Somebody opened a bottle of red wine and put a glass in my fingers. I stood in a circle and got drunk with people who'd written their theses on astrology and spontaneous human combustion, and the clock crawled. They pressed me for gossip, and I couldn't find a reason to say no. The circle sucked up my anecdotes about Maxwell, whom I'd only known for, well, a matter of days. Just a single day if you added up the hours. The only person who wasn't enthralled was the smug, hippie Vivian lady, who appeared to have agreed to walk down towards the river for a private conversation with Maxwell, pulling up her cue mask as if to keep Maxwell out of her mouth. Just before he walked out with her, Maxwell shoved a wine glass at me with something fizzing in it. It looked like a vitamin. We'll catch up in a bit. Drink this for now. I will. I promise, sir. He clawed the back of my head, pulling my ear down beside his gritted teeth. Drink it now. I tossed it back, belched, apologized, continued the conversation without my boss in the room until the ceiling swooned, and I asked to lie down in the coat room, and... I awoke inside Maxwell's cozy Mustang thrown against the doors with each twist and turn. Little glowing blue lights on the dashboard, while everything was black as a mine outside. The headlights burned through the night. The time had to be... God, 1 a.m.? 2? I'd gotten drunk and passed out after... Well, I only remembered one wine, but it felt like I'd drunk ten. My bones ached. My mouth tasted like sherbet. I asked Maxwell what had happened with that Vivian chick while I was asleep. He sped up to 180 kph, took his eyes off the road, and stared at me, 
hard. Maxwell was now wearing brown leather driving gloves and crushing the steering wheel. If I told you, I'd have to kill you. Dude, seriously, the corner! Please slow down! So, you withdraw your question? Okay, 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 forget it. Please, just, I don't want to die. Burger King in Taupo, 24-hour KFC in Rotorua, 3 a.m., coffee in Hamilton, breakfast platter at dawn in Auckland. We said nothing to one another. The question hung around us like body odor. I stood outside the driver's window on the street while the Mustang murmured. Some strands were drifting in the breeze at the back of the Mustang, like a fringe or tail hanging off the back, like he'd stuck purple streamers on the back of his car, or someone's purple Halloween witch wig was caught in the trunk. The silence was so awkward I was relieved when he dropped me at the hotel. Did things go okay with that Vivian lady? You can stop thinking of it as Vivian, son. That was never its real name. Maxwell tossed his gloves out the window into the gutter, U-turned, and sped away. As head writer, my job was to bring Maxwell's unifying theory into every story that we paid for or copied or stole or borrowed. He had this kind of dyslexia thing, and his unifying theory thoughts kept pouring out like when you pull endless tissues out of a Kleenex box. He dictated a lot, and on top of ghostwriting and spellchecking, half the time my job was to find primary sources to prove what he was saying. We devoted a double-page spread to the unifying theory, then four pages, then a centerfold that readers could lift out and blue-tack to their walls. If Maxwell didn't stop getting himself excited, the theory would take over every damn page. Maxwell's ideas were unstoppable, though. We began the work at 9am on a Tuesday, aiming to work late, finishing around 6pm. Instead, we worked till 7, then got curry delivered, 8 till 7.30, promised to wrap up at 8pm, then found ourselves at 2 a.m. slurping Monster Energy and Espresso while Maxwell rattled the back of my seat and dictated. His office was hot and pressured, and the windows were black and closed. In every corner I looked, Maxwell was there, ranting, shaking books, and cutting things out of the newspaper. He'd had assistants in the past, but they had yet to keep up, so he was used to calling the shots over layout, copy editing, advert placement, colors, covers, social media, and managing subscriptions. He paced, snooped, and sampled his medicine, some colorless vinegary concoction apparently called GHB or Fantasy. He reserved a space in the magazine for reviewing his monthly drugs bit. Maxwell forced a squirt of the stuff in my mouth, lifted my hands, put my fingers on the keyboard, and said, Write this down. You ready? He busted out a rant about Putin's Russia acting as a bulwark against the reptoids from Draco, and proof that the Russian sleep experiment had ended with Draco infiltrators outing themselves. He talked about how the Dracos polluted everyone close to him, his old man, his interns, his ex-wife's brain. 
He asked me if the GHB was working or not and said gamma-4-hydroxybutyric acid originated as an approved therapy for alcoholism in Italy because it puts people into a 24-hour sleep, so they miss opportunities to drink. GHB is the antidote that clears your mind, so you see the real world, Maxwell said, then positioned me in front of my computer monitor. Needs more, this series does, he said. Readers want it linked better, too. We need to work on your segues and your continuity. Unless you're intentionally handing in subpar work. Is that what you're up to? No, man. You selling this story to anyone else? Hey, dipshit? He slapped my right ear. Nexus? Unexplained? Answer me, you little trickster. No, sir. He didn't breathe for 30 seconds. 40. His eyes tunneled through mine, ate a hole in my head, and emerged out the other side. Radio, he concluded, grinning ear to ear. On with the job, shall we? We used InDesign to expand our eight-page special on the unifying theory to 16 pages, then gave it half the magazine, plus an insert letting readers know to watch out for Maxwell's ex-wife. We put a big profile photo of her and a description of where she worked, her measurements, and her schedule and routines. Birds were waking up by now. An orange glow diluted the dark blue sky. Maxwell brought me an espresso with something bubbling on the surface, some sugar, presumably. He pressed the cup against my lips and rubbed my throat. Drink, 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 boy. I tasted that fantasy crap on my tonsils and looked into the bottom of my empty espresso cup, and then the lights went out. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We drove, flew, and beamed into conferences in Perth, Sydney, Kuala Lumpur, Dunedin, and Palmerston North. We hit the Information Liberation Expo in Christchurch. We did Melbourne's Vax Attacks Alternative Health Expo. We joined conferences led by semiotics researchers, 5G experts, and anti-genetic modification activists. People with proof that vaccines give kids autism. People with proof of a pre-biblical flood in the year 8000 BCE. Every time we traveled and toured, we got more and more audience. And Maxwell got more restless, frantic, and irritable, as if he was running out of time and had to force the end. I didn't pester Maxwell for an apology for sharing his medicine with me without my consent. I knew his intentions were noble, and he was trying to cool me down from being overworked and, uh, not exactly paid, apart from being allowed to sleep and take showers at the office and eat pizza and glug monster energy. When he was in a good mood, he would blurt out unexpected compliments on my writing and buy me burgers, books, and brunch time shots of absinthe and bottles of beer. He tousled my hair, pinched my cheeks, and that was compensation enough for him making me take mandatory naps with a sip of fantasy. On the balance of things, it was a privilege to be doing my dream job, to be living under his wing. Our unifying theory scoops pushed readership up on every level. Reptilian saboteurs from the Draco constellation were behind most of the world's setbacks and advancements, our stories revealed. It made so much sense that there had to be a force leaning on not altogether stupid governments around the world, pressuring them to push this vaccination scam. The strange paper subscriptions hit 2,000 a month. Online readership passed 400,000, then 500,000, surged up to the 750,000 mark. I achieved full-time status with a hundred bucks a week, all of my own. Though it wasn't about the work, I would have written for the strange paper for nothing. I got up at 7 a.m. each day and worked according to his whims writing reviews, spell-checking, processing adverts, and replying to queries, helping with accounts and subscriptions, pasting stamps onto envelopes. He was half boss, half father, Maxwell was. Fun and exciting, always random, spontaneous. Better than my real dad. I worked mornings, evenings, and late nights. It made sense to take a break from Shiori anyway, since I was basically living in Maxwell's garage on the other side of the world to be with him all the time. We managed to prove a link between freak hailstorms in Haiti and crop circles in Florida and the Bosnian pyramids at Visoko, which bore a map of the Alpha Draconis star system whose population had emigrated to Earth 3,000 years ago. We connected more and more dots with every issue. We covered the Draco's injection into royal bloodlines, the Merovingians, the Bushes, the Rothschilds, the Windsors, based on actual DNA analysis of relatives who swore they'd witnessed their family getting stuck with needles over the years. 
I wrote an exclusive revealing the precise date Fidel Castro was replaced with a lizard as part of the New World Order. We published an exclusive showing that Iraq was invaded in 2003 because Saddam was poised to hold a press conference denouncing the Dracos. I had an expert from INWOS, the Institute of New World Order Studies, contribute exquisite diagrams showing the chain of transfer during which Draco DNA is injected into human children during COVID vaccination, and how autism naturally results from our immune system's pushback against the alien DNA. Atop a surge in subscriptions, we followed it with commentary from an expert who proved that Draco DNA was to be found in the crack cocaine the CIA pushed on black communities during 1986. People from Natural Health magazine and Nexus and Unexplained came to knock meekly at the door and pay homage to Maxwell in his office. While he cracked beers, leaned back in his leather jacket and jeans, and put those cowboy boots up high on his desk. Occasionally, Maxwell went and spread the unifying theory overseas, too. He wouldn't always say where he was going, but when I packed his bags, he would have me add a ski mask or swimming trunks as if he were going somewhere snowy or somewhere tropical. Plus, I noticed spikes in subscriptions from Russia, from the UK, from Sweden, South Korea, the Philippines as well as orders of t-shirts and coffee mugs. There were overnight conferences, too, on Microsoft Teams and Zoom and Google Hangouts. I was shut out of some of those. Door closed. I envied these people and their private time with the sage, the guru, the master. Meanwhile, my so-called peers sent me invitations to their weddings talked about me in a high school reunion group on Facebook, showed off the babies they were squirting into the world. Somebody asked if they'd seen me lately and caught up with me. Nah, the bro's an anti-vaxxer now, they said. He drank the Kool-Aid big time. They posted a photo, too. Me standing on the corner of the Auckland War Memorial Museum steps, gazing admiringly at Maxwell commanding the megaphone in his epic Down With Lockdown rally last month. Maxie and I were amongst 20,000 protesters who'd had enough. I had no place amongst the high school homogenized sheeple. I deleted my Facebook. If people wanted to reach me, they could go through Shiori. I was dedicated solely to investigative journalism now, the lonely, sacrificial life of a samurai. I came off Prozac at the same time as Maxwell. He was supposed to be on these mood stabilizers called Depakine for bipolar people, but they weren't worth the trouble. We couldn't have pharma controlling our thoughts anymore. We wouldn't let them lower the guard of army veterans or invalids or even dogs and cats. So I guarded the door of the garage, parading with one of Maxwell's 7mm Remington rifles each night while he researched the best ways to check how bad the problem on infiltration had got. Maxwell had caught this affectionate tomcat that was using the cat flap way too often. He tranquilized the feline and looked under its skin. He determined it was a well-crafted fake, extremely convincing and lifelike. It's not until you fully remove the epidermis that you can spot the real from the fake, he explained. Maxwell stood with me outside the garage, 
He had a stain on his forehead and scratches on his nose and hands that he was dabbing at with a handkerchief. Did you find more than one way to skin a cat? I asked, cringing. There's nothing to joke about, son, he told me. A war's coming. We have to get inside the invaders. Peel till we see the real. He lit a cigarette and snorted at me. You need to undertake some actual skinning. Prove you can stand up for this team. I have to know you're loyal. I am loyal, Maxwell. Honest. So you say. Then you'll need this. He pressed a scalpel into my hand and pulled me inside the garage to the workbench. A Labrador was strapped down with bungee cords and electrical cable. It looked up as I approached, stuck its tongue out, and wheezed, hopefully, its neck tag tinkling. It's just practice. It's not Lassie here we're concerned about, really, Maxwell said. Now, glove up. An oncoming truck honked. Maxwell veered hard right. We were one foot away from getting totaled when he settled in front of the motel and yanked the handbrake up. You and I need to talk. Fuck, Max. Can you just drive normally? That was close. Too close for anyone to have followed us. He snorted and hopped out of the car. Guess you've never shaken a spy off your tail before, Greenhorn. The motel was three stories tall, a tablet of white painted concrete rising out of a tiny parking lot. It had Christmas lights wrapped around its balcony, a cigarette machine, and bags of garbage around the drain. Disgusting as the motel was, it was nicer than the parking lot, which had protesters in it, sleeping wrapped up in their flags and banners and tents, plus a dumpster dribbling waste grease from a fried chicken joint. And what really mattered was it was straight over the road from the stadium where, the next day, the big event began. We were in town for Maxwell's presentation at Armageddon Wellington, the pop culture convention where more and more presentations from the intellectual dark web were appearing each year. We'd bartered for a low-paying advertising deal, running a mixed bag of print, digital, and social adverts for Armageddon in return for them letting Maxwell deliver his big unifying theory lecture at the expo. This was the capital, and people had been doing sit-ins on the lawn of Parliament against the Prime Minister's mandatory vaccines. Historical stuff was happening. Maxwell Winkle had to be at the center of it. We checked into the motel, got our keys, and were about to enter our room when Maxwell touched my chest. Massive day tomorrow, he said. Pretty major revelations in my lecture. You're aware it's copyrighted intellectual property? Um, I guess. He slammed me against the wall and scrunched my collar. There were tiny white bubbles on his angry lips. Tell me how you found out about me! I I saw this strange paper at this um this bookstore when I was a kid. Name the shop. B B Baxter's Baxter's Books back home. His eyes flicked from left to right and back again like blowflies inside his eye sockets. He's one of them. Baxter, the bookshop bastard, a shifter, a deep fake. The darting eyes settled on me. Finally, I said, 
I agree, sir. Totally. Can we go in our room now? Soon as we sealed the motel door, Maxwell turned the TV volume on as high as it would go and checked under the beds for listening devices. I texted Shiori. Maxwell's losing it, I wrote. He sees conspiracies everywhere. Help. While Maxwell was running a loud shower, Shiori responded sarcastically. He knows the truth. One of us is a shifter? Your words, not mine. Talking to your handler, son? Maxwell was standing over me, blocking the light. He had a towel around his hips, and his belly bulged like pizza dough. A phantom of steam rose off of him. Nothing. I tucked my phone under my thigh. Just messaging. Who? Just my friend. You don't have any friends. He waddled to the blinds and twisted them to block the light out. They can read remotely, you know. I can read too. I can read minds. And I can tell you're full of shit. Show me your phone. I gave up my cell phone. Maxwell ruminated over my messages to Shiori. I told Shiori that Maxwell was bombarding me with text messages constantly. I'd said Maxwell was pressuring me to take a helicopter up to study contrails, and I didn't like it. I'd confessed I spent Christmas with him dipping a ladle into Auckland's water supply to get samples we'd send away to test for extraterrestrial DNA. You can have this back when I trust you, Maxwell decided, frowning, holding the phone out like it was infected. She's not who you think she is. Are you mad at me, sir? He looked like he wanted to reach out and squeeze my hand. Then he shook his head in disappointment. I care about you, son. That's all. He went back to the bathroom and slammed the door. Armageddon was erupting, boiling over, buzzing, and humming. Outside, police with hands linked like cookie-cutter gingerbread men were trying to maintain a human rope to keep down-with-lockdown protesters from crashing the conference. Inside was only room for elbows and hips, and everyone was battling to be heard through their face masks, mouths muffled with cotton. Balloons everywhere, speakers, coffee grinders, people selling comics and posters at tables, artists holding sharpie pens, signing chests and foreheads, VR helmets, bodybuilding supplements, vapes, banners with giant portraits of The Witcher and Jon Snow and Black Widow, a life-size Millennium Falcon, big as a blimp, blocked out the sunlight. I passed kids from high school dressed up, safe in young, good-looking packs, joyous, chattering, tight skin, eyes stretched into squints from laughing. They'd taken buses and trains to dress in furry Pikachu costumes. They were Spock and Pac-Man and Goku and Gandalf and Pepe the Frog and Tyrion. People were laughing and calling and holding hands, balloons, confetti. Everyone was having an ecstatic time, and here I was, struggling to haul a trolley of boxes across 500 meters of carpet to the hilltop room, ground zero for Maxwell's big reveal. The hilltop room, flat, windowless, didn't have a stage, 
just a sad, skinny black microphone on a stand plugged into an amplifier. The room was as small as my parents' lounge, just about. A fraction bigger. This'll be us, Maxwell concluded, unboxing his laptop. He stroked the walls and put an ear against the plaster. Can I go see the Bitcoin thing? Shut the fuck up. You're here to work. His ear was interested in the heat pump remote control. He rubbed it against his face, then tapped it twice, then four times, hoping to find a listening device. If you want to be known as disloyal, go ahead and be disloyal. That's on you. They're doing jabs in the lobby, I heard. Go get yourself a nice juicy vaccine. I kept my mouth closed and helped him set up. We had a single pull-up banner with a picture of our real Independence Day special edition, and that was our only visual aid as far as I knew. Apart from a laptop, Maxwell's presentation was mostly in his head. An hour before he was due to go on, a producer girl with sexy hipster glasses and freckles informed us there was a special appearance by Dora the Explorer at the same time. We'd lose most of our crowd to a child with a monkey. I'm sorry to be a pain, but one last thing. You guys reckon you could put your masks on? Maxwell made a fist and thumped the wall. He towered over the producer girl, pushing her out with his belly. Tonight will be the last night we ever hear about masks, honey. Mark my words. Better get inside today. Word of warning. The girl disappeared. Maxwell took his vial of some chemical from his pocket, jammed it under his nose, snorted, turned, and pointed his finger at me. Go get me a fucking audience now! I pulled the sleeves of a couple of cheerleaders in spandex. I bailed a trio of hobbits up against walls. One fat nerd dressed as Wonder Woman squirmed through my handshake. I gave him 20 bucks to promise he would scrape some people together to attend. All my week's pay was being used up bribing people to join, but finally I had a makeshift audience. The presentation started off in front of 30 people in costumes and black t-shirts, people who rotated in and out, some tugged away by their friends to watch the Dora puppets, and others who needed to play Magic the Gathering or Pokemon Go. Maxwell began reading from a printed script before sliding it to the floor. Ladies and gentlemen, everything out there, the shiny lights, the Star Trek hacks, the phonies from Hollywood, they're all distractions. After this here today, you'll see everything for what it really is. He searched the distance with his eyes. Scratch the surface of this world. Beneath, you'll find those waiting to harm us. Conspiring, plotting, organizing. His eyes roamed the room, settling on a fat man with a ginger beard wearing a suit jacket, a pair of lolitas, and a news photographer, who he pointed his finger directly at as he pulled out his cell phone with a free hand. Eyes front! This is important! Maxwell jabbed a button on his phone, and his laptop made the projector burst to life. The image was a big square of blue with the Samsung logo, which quickly became white, then a loading icon, then 
an image of pure horror. Behind him, on the wall, blown up to nine square meters, were the freckled arms, legs, and shoulders of a woman duct-taped to a chair. Everybody in the room held their breath as Maxwell scrolled through a sequence of pictures. The first photo showed a hooded man approaching the tied-down woman with something small and shiny in his hand. In the second photo, lines were drawn professionally on her skin with a marker, as if she were about to get plastic surgery. The third photo made the room roar. First, we saw the hooded man dragging a scalpel from the woman's temple down to her jaw. As he peeled her skull like an orange, we could see brick-colored muscle and a hint of white eyeball ringed with a blue vein. How did you get those photos? demanded the bearded man. What the fuck have you done? He tore his strange paper in half and slammed the pieces on the floor. Intern, lock the door! Most of the herd surged out before I managed to lock the room. With half a dozen people left, Maxwell flipped to the last few photos, nodding. The five who remained took it all seriously. They sat on their butts like kindergartners, eyes front, ears keened, dedicated, hypnotized people who looked like they would go out and tell their contacts worldwide to do whatever Maxwell said. This is it, my friends. Underneath those we least suspect, definitive proof they've infiltrated the human race. You see it, don't you? Tell me you're seeing it. The woman's body sitting at the head of the table, topless, arms the color of timber, navel, creases of belly fat, slumbering old breasts with streaks of stretched fat, strands of purple hair, on the body's shoulders. Above her collar, where a bloody ooze was trickling through her cleavage, the pink-splashed light bulb of her skull was covered in liver-brown flesh with accents of salmon and blue and red. In her former face, black holes were where her eyes had been before Vivian had been skinned. Traffic was tense and frightening. Maxwell drove insanely close to the far lane. Protesters were hurling bottles, marching across the blacktop, stopping cars, burning banners, and chanting. The entire city honked at him. He turned the stereo up so loud it smashed my eardrums. He made me shake a little foil of white powder into a cartridge in his vape, and he sucked on it and said, Mmm, them's good apples, and swerved and veered. He ordered two drive through meals in an hour. He sniffed, snorted, smoked, and punched my knee whenever I didn't respond to his rants quickly enough. We were high on Armageddon, excited by the big announcement. The end. High like magicians, like circus performers who'd revealed something extraordinary everyone would be telling their friends about. We veered into the motel parking lot so hard and fast I was sure Maxwell was about to collide with the building. 
The brakes stopped with a squirt of stinking rubber. Maxwell got out of the car so fast that he left his door open, as well as the front door of our unit. I tidied the car and closed the door after him. Peeling the layers like an onion, that's right, he ranted, pacing our motel unit. So, are you an onion, yeah? Or spinach? Lettuce? I sat on my single bed, exhausted, embarrassed, and disgraced. Or possibly a pod person. Speak up, planty boy, because you're definitely a plant. Fucking infiltrator. Fucking rat boy snitch. Fucking undercover. Dude, seriously, you're starting to freak... A mole designed to invade and undermine the strange paper, like that little Yoko Ono of yours. Do you know she was a plant for none other than Mossad? Designed to have the Beatles change the outcome of the 1966 election, yeah? Didn't know that, did ya? But your little geisha girlfriend knew it. She told me the whole lot. I tossed my hands and shoulders to either side and slung my backpack over my shoulder. I'm going to go get some onion rings, man. Text me if you want anything. Don't you want to see photos? Of what? Of the truly repulsive being with its fake veneer taken off? I took one stride toward the exit. Maxwell took four, crossing the room and burying his thumb and forefinger in my throat. I pushed back. He twisted his hips, slammed me down on the bed put his second hand on my Adam's apple and squeezed. I scratched at his eyes. He pressed his 240 pounds into me, squeezed and crushed while a sleepy smile oozed onto his face. Shiori was in the room, calling to ask what milkshake flavor I wanted. My dad was above me, telling me to make my bed army style with the corners folded like so. Flocks of Pikachus and princesses from Armageddon were passing through the room, clutching candy floss and balloons. The air tasted of bitter raw dirt and earth and tangy blood. Just as a black filter was darkening the ceiling, the crushing boulder man took a few pounds of weight off before his hand returned. He held a water bottle and jammed the plastic hard against my lips. Was he giving me a drink? Of something bitter and delicious and fizzy, sugary and vinegar. The black filter descended from the ceiling, darkened my eyes, heavy eyelids, sleep. Something hard burrowing up and out through my back. I could see a fragment of the corner, motel ironing board, patterns of fluffy moons and smiling stars. I jerked an inch upwards. Something stiff pulled me back. I was tied to the ironing board on the bed with extension cords. A white pillowcase was between my teeth and twisted around the back of my head like a rope. The room appeared empty though the TV was on. Al Jazeera News, the only channel Maxwell believed was untainted, pure, and trustworthy. I heard rattling from the kitchen. Bottles were chiming, the chink of somebody rustling through the cutlery. It's a day of reckoning, today is, 
Maxwell said, appearing with a gleaming shard of stainless steel. He held a steak knife in his right hand, tapping it against his left palm. They're having the masks pulled off all around the world. Biden's aide, that bodyguard second from the right there. Do you see that thing? It's the blackness of the eyes that gives it away. The light in Maxwell's face went out. Same eyes you've got, come to think of it, son. Maxwell kneeled on my shoulders while I moaned, choked, and bit into my mouthful of fabric, tasting every fiber. His hand on my brow was warm, tender, almost gentle. He licked his fingers before pushing my hair away and slicing through my scalp. He brought the knife up again and went over the same line. I bellowed and shook with the burning electric shock as the hard, cold blade cut into my skull, brushing bone and setting off wildfires of agony. A probing finger of light speared through the blinds, painted the wall, then disappeared. I screamed through my cotton gag, tears pooling. Volcanoes of bubbling foam erupted around the corners of my mouth. My eyes rippled and blurred and trickled. Maxwell saw the light, stared hard at the source outside our motel room, then returned his attention to cutting off my face. Sorry about the blade. She's a dull one, Maxwell said. A dullard! Yes! Exactamente! He giggled, leaned off me, and stuck his nose into a teacup of cocaine, grunting contentedly as he licked flowery snot off his top lip. Ready for the end? Here we go! Maxwell twisted away from me, pushed the TV volume up to the maximum, and pulled from my face a flap of skin as big as a postcard with a gap in it where he'd carved around my eye socket. The skin was saggy and translucent as a condom, wobbling, jelly-like, thin and full of holes as a slice of Swiss cheese, and bright with blood. He grasped my chin, his fingers slipping in the red juice, then squeezed tighter and pushed the hard knife down. I was right about you, son. Who you are, what you're doing, just like my previous so-called son. What I'm looking at is truly monstrous. The room exploded with light. Noise outside, a humming, whirring drone. A UFO, or a car loudly reversing. It's time, he said, blood dangling like wet red icicles from the tips of his fingers. And he took his weight off me, rolling off the bed, taking three cautious steps to the door, knife in one hand, my jelly cheese face in the other. All around the world, you know, from Auckland to Sydney to London, dear boy. Washington, Cairo, Kiev, Vancouver, Berlin, Hong Kong, Taipei, we're seizing the rains, rising. I watched through a twitchy screen of speckled pink my eyeballs spasming in agonizing dryness as the muscles searched for eyelids. It was impossible to look away from the TV, where Al Jazeera was running remembrance clips for the high-profile people they were announcing as dead.
leaders from Warsaw, The Hague, FIFA, OPEC, Tesla, and Google, and Amazon, and Amnesty International. A worldwide purge. A pandemic of assassinations. Hillary Clinton was critically wounded in a Manhattan apartment bombing. Narendra Modi was beaten down by a mob and skinned. The president of the International Cricket Council was burned alive. The Russian ambassador to Turkey was kidnapped and flayed. The Riyadh palace of the Saud family was stormed and sacked. The Dail in Dublin torn apart by the 99%. Mobs had poured into the European Parliament in Strasbourg, the New York Stock Exchange, and the United Nations General Assembly. Protesters with flags, paint, and glitter bombs had scaled airport control towers, Big Ben, and the Statue of Liberty. Maxwell tossed his keys playfully in the air, blew me a mock kiss, and went out to see whoever had brought their vehicle to the door. I raged against my straps, twisting, then froze, listening. Maxwell cranked the Mustang's engine, those twelve cylinders that purred as they rattled, low and confident. His car beeped as it reversed. Our motel door was red with his alien lights. Maxwell pulled a maroon-colored mannequin from the trunk of his Mustang, still wrapped in plastic, which was spotty with some red industrial dye. He brought the thing inside, lay it down, and on the motel unit's cheap beige rug, Maxwell injected the mannequin with an EpiPen shot. Adrenaline? It had to be. Through watery, stinging eyes, I watched down the length of my prostrate body, trying to control my panicked breathing. Woken with stimulant, the rust-red mannequin sneezed, then rolled on its side and vomited on the floor. Lidless, the eyes were bright ping-pong balls popping out of the flesh, the irises lolling in different directions, exhausted, dry, mummified. Maxwell wiped the thing's lips, then pulled it upright, propping it against the back of a chair. Its skinless flesh was raw, dried, and hardened, cracking into tessellated maroon tiles gridded like plates, scaled like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Like a red lizard in the shape of a man. I called its name the skinless reptilian thing. Shiori? You've been listening to The Strange Paper by Michael Boder. Michael Boder is a fiction writer based in New Zealand. He has written numerous novels and short story collections, which can be found on Amazon and through other retailers. Another story of his, There Are Worse Things, was recently featured in Season 12, Episode 18 of Otis Cheery's Scary Stories Told in the Dark program. That closes things out for tonight, listeners. 
As you tuck yourselves into bed tonight with a book, a magazine, or your smartphone, I'd recommend taking a moment to think about the type of ideas that you let into your brain. It can be all too easy to go down the rabbit hole yourself without realizing where you're being led. After all, the voices encouraging our worst tendencies usually don't sound quite as batshit crazy as Mr. Maxwell Winkle. Thank you for tuning in this evening, and I'll be sure to see you at the same time and place next week. Until then, stay spooky. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes, visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time and for giving our sponsors a try today. When you support our sponsors, you help support this show, and that means a lot to me. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases, and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. As for me personally, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, username Viking Guitar, and also on Instagram as Viking Guitar Productions. In particular, if you're looking for someone to provide voice work for your own project, or are in need of audio production of any sort, it would be wonderful to chat. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the horror hill for yet another dance with darkness, I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener, and if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was hosted by, and its featured tale performed by, yours truly, Eric Peabody. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Nikki McSorley and Eric Peabody. Finalization by Craig Groshek and S.K. Brown. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at 
submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for future production. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, please subscribe to us to make sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to let us know how we're doing and leave us a kind comment. Lastly, don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archives and ad-free downloads of all of your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, you can hear more of my work on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights podcast. However, I will be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.